This is Ralph Carhart, the author of The Hall Ball, and you are listening to Baseball and Barbecue. Baseball Barbecue Studios in Wanto, New York, and Delmore, New York. This is Baseball and BBQ episode 124. I'm here with Len Hollywood Aberman, and I'm Jeff Cohen. Len, how are you? <laughs> I am absolutely fantastic. I feel like Hollywood. You should give a little background there. LA are my initials, right? So my bowling nickname is Hollywood. That is a little something. Behind the curtains for me, Jeff. I'm so happy to be here with you, my yeah, illustrious. It's also couple. on. It's also on your bowling shirt and the back of your bowling shirt. It says Hollywood. Yes, I'm going to call yes. you Hollywood from now on. Okay, you do that. All right <laughs> for Hollywood. Da 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 da. Okay, you're not going to sing with me. I am not. Jeff. <laughs> Episode 124. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's tell everyone who we are going to have on so start us off who will our first guest be we have a former strength and conditioning coach of the world champion new york yankees jeff mangold who has a book out called power and pinstripes and is a fantastic book a lot of good great stories in there and we we got to talk to him and it was just a, a great experience yeah his book power and pinstripes my years training the new york yankees by Jeff Mangold. Interestingly enough, he also did train the New York Mets, but no mention of that on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) The the Mets did not do very well when Jeff Mangold was there. No, and it was no reflection of Jeff Mangold. Of course not. Of course not. But he won championships with the Yankees. Not only that, let's tell who our next guest is before we uh, give a whole thing about Jeff. We also have none other than Rusty Monson, who is barbecue extraordinaire. He is doing it with his food truck out in Utah. He has the Pitmasters podcast, which he's been co-hosting since September of 2019. He's an embedded correspondent on the Barbecue Central show. I mean, the guy is just, as I think I said on the podcast, if he wants to do it, He's going to do it, and he's going to do it well. We've got baseball and barbecue covered really well on this episode. Yep. Extremely well. Yes, we do. Now, before we get to Power and Pinstripes, let's just give a little bit of a glimpse into the future. Okay. I love that we have no money for effects. (laughs) (laughs) 
we will be on April 3rd, we're going to be doing something called Facebook Live. Is that right, Jeff? I believe we are. Yes. Yes. Have no idea how try. Hopefully work. it works. <laughs> exactly. We don't know the time yet, but we do know that we will be with our good friend, Ray Sheehan, who has a new book coming out. We actually have, an, we have a little promo from Ray that we're going to play sometime. And I leave that to you, Jeff. But we're going to play Ray promos. Uh, Ray, Pro, Ray Sheehan's promo. Oh, boy. Speaking is <laughs> Yes, very. But we will be with Ray. We will be spending the day cooking and talking and just having a great time with Ray on April 3rd. And so we'll give more information. I guess if you want more information on that, they can get that from our Facebook page. Right? Check it out, Facebook page. And you can also send in some questions, put some questions on our Facebook page if you want to ask anything of Ray Sheehan. Len, before we get to our guests, I want to remind everybody our phone number is 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. The aforementioned Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Tweet us at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram is Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. We have a website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And of course, Len, please do the honors. Rate and review us. And I don't know why I had to do that in such a deep voice, but rate and review us, please. Thank you. And with that, here is Jeff Mangold. Jeff Mangold served as the head strength and conditioning coach for the New York Yankees from 84 to 88 and again from 98 to 2006. During his tenure, the Bronx Bombers won nine straight American League East titles. That's, that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> Appeared in five World Series and won three World Series championships in 98, 99, and 2000. Mangold also worked for the New York Mets from 93 to 96, which must have been interesting times, and designed a strength and conditioning facilities at both Yankee and Chase Stadiums. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Jeff Mangold. Hi, Jeff and Lynn. Thanks for having me. Yes, Welcome, definitely. Jeff. You know, it's so funny because as Jeff's reading it, it's like, wow, that, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. And, you know, I, I will just. Uh, I'm going to let Jeff speak, but the one thing he just said, which harkens to the book, is when he called you coach and you have a story in there about the first time that you met Yogi. Yeah, right. And you were used to the, you know, football talk. Yeah. And I think you called him coach. And he was like, oh, so now I'm a coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to learn the vernacular, get the right lingo going on there. That was a that was one of my first lessons, yeah, especially to Yogi with for Yogi to. Oh, OK, I'm a coach. Huh? OK, I go. Well, OK, I, I understand. I got you now. <laughs> <laughs> that that in itself. And, and again, I'll go to Jeff. But the fact that you start your career with the Yankees and you're dealing with Yogi Berra and Billy Martin. And I mean, the the list goes on and on and, and, and George Steinbrenner, you just know that this is going to be an exciting interview and an incredible book. All right, Jeff, take it away. Jeff, great book. It's called power and pinstripes. My years training the New York Yankees by Jeff Mangold with Peter Botti. Is that yeah, is Peter that right? Botti. Yes. Forward by Mariano Rivera. I think we have heard of him. He had a yes. pretty good career. 
Yes. And you start off the book, you grab us right away. Because the first chapter is that the famous bat incident with Roger Clemens and Mike Piazza. So why don't you tell us how you came into possession of that bat? Yeah, that was a, the 2000 World Series. And it wasn't just your regular, if you can call it just a regular World Series. And, but it's the Subway Series where so much tension going on and, and pressure. But it was, I believe it was game three, I believe. Uh, at Yankee Stadium, Clemens pitching, and Clemens and Piazza had a little history amongst them between themselves, and and it, it rose to the it reared its head, head again there. I think it was I think it was about the third inning, I believe. Clemens is all fired up and firing fastballs in there as he usually does, and Piazza takes a big cut, and then everybody probably remembers that barrel of the bat goes flying out towards Roger, and the handle of the bat went towards the Mets dugout. So since we're playing at Yankee Stadium, the Mets dugout was on the third base side, ours on the first. And, you know, lo and behold, Roger, for whatever reason, he, in the midst of thinking it was the baseball and then getting caught up, well, it's not the baseball, it's the barrel of the bat that flew out to him. And I guess he didn't, he was so fired up, he just didn't really know what to do. And he it just kind of flung it, as everybody remembers in disgust or right kind of towards Piazza, it's stuck that the shard of the back, the barrel of the bat just stuck right in the ground. And as normal, when a bat would be broken, the bat boy would run out, run out on the field and get the remaining parts of the broken bats. And that would happen a lot with Mariano pitching, but this was Clemens. And so he brought it back into the dugout, the barrel of the bat, and I was standing right by the bat rack where I, I stood there quite often. And there's a collection area where the bats would be leaned up against the wall. And I realized this bat's just going to be thrown away. And I said to myself, I said, this can't be. This is, this is, this is too, much, too much. A very precious uh, article. So after the, the third out, I think Eddie Layton up on the organ playing the, after the third out, he has that certain certain play that he on the organ that he does you know, do, 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 do. and people are going about their way guys grab, grabbing their gloves getting ready to or our guys coming in from the outfield in the infield and so i just i just looked around and i said i'm gonna grab the bat and i walked it up towards to the clubhouse and my locker was the first going into the yankee clubhouse my locker was the first one on the left hand side i walked up and i put it Underneath my locker, there's an area that opens up a, a kind of a cabinet, you might say, but it's on the floor. And I put the barrel of the bat in there. And after the game, I took it home, had it in a athletic you know, carrying bag. And I had it in my office for uh, 13 or 14 years. And I, I, and I didn't brag about it. I didn't tell a lot of people about it. Probably maybe 10 or 12 people friends of mine and every once in a while somebody might come over to do some electrical work or uh, some painting or something. And they'd go, man, oh man, are you a big Yankee fan or something? And I go, well, not necessarily, but I, I, I worked for him for quite a few years and stuff. And I would tell him about it and I would show him the bat that was up on the, on my office area. Yeah. So that was, that was quite the, quite the encounter. Nobody knew. Nobody knew, huh? <laughs> and then it finally came to a point where I, 
I said, I'd uh, inquire about auctioning it off because I've had it long enough. So I, I called Heritage Auctions in Dallas because I knew they were quite a very reputable organization. And at first, when I got on the phone and I contacted them, they, they said, like, they said, well, who are you? What are you talking about? I said, well, I have that barrel of the pad. And then the young lady says, uh, I, hold on a second. So she went to a, somebody a little bit higher up in their organization to get on the line to talk to me. And once I told them who I was and where I was at that point in time during that game. And that ended up having it auctioned off in New York City. And we went from there. Nice. Nice. Made a nice chunk of change on yeah. that. Well, it, was, it was a nice chunk of change, yeah. and it came in handy for our kids, uh, three of our kids' education, or at least right. partially towards that. And then also, right. as it is in the book, I, I did donate yes. a couple thousand dollars to the CJ Foundation for SIDS, mm-hmm. right. which is discussed in the book, but also since we're talking about it right now, but uh, we had, a, we had a, a loss of a daughter to sudden mm-hmm. infant death. Right. And to to uh, to SIDS, and so that was donated to the CJ Foundation. Oh, and that's two CJ, things. Yes. Oh, sorry. I, but I was just going interrupt. to say that the CJ Foundation it stands for Carly Jane, and Carly Jane was the daughter of Joel and Susan Hollander, who was the program director for quite a few years at WFAN, and then went on for many years with uh, a, a large. Uh, Corporate radio M- station. MS Broadcasting? Did he go on to MS Broadcasting? Yeah. And then, uh, what was it? We'll think of it later on, but okay. uh, yes. That was the organization that Don Imus raised a lot of money for as well. Yes. So, Don, so Imus got involved mainly through through Joel's connection with with Imus. And so there would be uh, annually, there'd be a radiothon that would raise millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. The yes. research and study of sudden infant death that it had a big uh, curtailing regarding number wise of incidents. So it really, really came to fruition to really help. Definitely. Two, two things. What Just to go back to Clemens for a second, you know, uh, it is amazing that Roger Clemens and, and uh, probably this is just another thing I'll say that he'll now not come on the show, but <laughs> the fact that he, he mistook the bat handle, for a baseball. I mean, you know, he hadn't been pitching that long. He probably just, he didn't realize the difference between the two. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, that to me is just the funniest thing. When I thought it was a baseball, yeah. but that's one. But the second is, you know, Jeff and I have been uh, New Yorkers for um, our whole lives. And so we always heard, you know, we were big FAN fans. And we always did listen to when they had those, Radio you know, those funds. fundraisers yeah. for SIDS and the Imus Ranch. And, yes. and now it was to read about it in the book. It really uh, it brought it back. That chapter, by the way, that, that you talk about what you went through and your family went through and from the whole trying to get pregnant and the loss of your daughter, Shannon, the fact that you shared that must have that must have not been an easy thing to do. So uh, that was really just, um, very touching. Yes. I, I, I very touching. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I wanted, I wanted this book to be about us, about our family, not just me, mm-hmm. but of it's the trials and tribulations 
that come along either on the field or in the households or in the workplace. And everybody has challenges and struggles and that some of these are discussed in the book mm-hmm. regarding player struggles, but, but also there's larger, larger challenges in life. And sometimes these get presented to you and, and, you know, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Are you going to quit? Or are you going to somehow try to make a positive out of a negative? I know that's quite a term to use with a, with a death of a child, but that's what we've tried to do as a family and to also speaking with other families that have had loss to mm-hmm. really realize the, the exceptional gift of life. So that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yes. So again, I, I said you, you really start off the book with this chapter that grabs everybody's attention. And then you go into how you became the, the strength, head strength and conditioning coach in the Yankees. And it started out in the Midwest right in Iowa and you went to the university of Nebraska. So tell us how that all came about, how you got into strength and conditioning and how you became a coach for the Yankees. Yes. It was sometimes just things, sometimes you might try too hard and things don't happen, but otherwise if you just keep pushing forward and, and communicating with people that you meet every day, you never know who you're going to meet. And I think that's so important in life is you get it on the elevator, say hello to somebody, say hello to people. In, in my instance, it, it just to go through that story of how I got into that realm of work was a graduate of St. Ambrose College in Davenport, Iowa, small school, and that I, th- I thought I wanted to be a PE teacher and a football coach. But I quickly realized in my, my senior year doing the practicum at a high school that this wasn't cut out for me. I just didn't have the patience to work with some of these student athletes or with these students. And but I wanted to stay. I wanted to work in sports in some capacity. So I thought maybe working for a sporting goods firm like Rawlings or Adidas or somebody, and repping their equipment. But that didn't come come to pass either because I was maybe young and didn't have any sales experience. But along those lines, I had a sister that lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. She and her husband and their family, and she offered to have me come out to Lincoln. That's where the University of Nebraska is, out there in the plains, and that they knew of, of a sporting goods store and they knew the owner of the sporting goods store, they could get me a job there. And I, so I did that. And I quickly realized I, this wasn't cut out for me either of working at a sporting goods store and, and uh, going that route. But every day, most of the days after work, I'd go across about a block and a half away to the YMCA and work out, get, you know, do some lifting, some running and so forth. And lo and behold, there's a professor at the, at the YMCA who saw how I kind of attacked things. And he said, listen, young man, he says, a very good friend of mine is the head strength and conditioning coach at the university of Nebraska. And his name is Boyd Epley, who is the godfather of strength and conditioning towards athletic performance, enhancing performance. And so I interviewed or went out and just spoke to Boyd at the university and ended up, they took me on as a volunteer assistant. And I was one of many volunteer assistants and finally worked my, worked my way up to where if another team or school, major university or professional team would call Boyd Epley at the university, that I was the one that was, would be mentioned, that would be advocated for the job. And so the, the University of Florida contacted Boyd so I went down to Gainesville, Florida and interviewed and 
was offered the position as the assistant strength coach at the University of Florida because I was ready to get paid. I wasn't paid for two and a half years. I would substitute teach in the mornings and I worked construction, drove you know construction trucks and then would go down to the university in the afternoon and to, to be mentored by some tremendous individuals there. And so that was the start of it. But the connection from that aspect to the Yankees was that Mr. Steinbrenner was a, a big booster of the University of Florida, of the Florida Gators, because George and his family have a big horse ranch down in Ocala, which is just south of Gainesville. He contacted our athletic director, Bill Carr, and asked him if he had somebody to recommend as a strength and conditioning coach for the Yankees. So the, our, our head strength coach found out about it, but he had, he had no patience. He, it would not have worked out. His aggressiveness and his intensity would not mesh well with Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that if, if mine would either, but I at least wanted to fly to New York. I've never been to New York before. Go up and interview and, geez, you can't turn down an interview from the New York Yankees. Nope. And I never thought of base, working in baseball. But so that's what uh, what happened. And I ended up being the... Uh, being the person they picked in 1984. That's great. I mean, just, just those connections like you were talking about. Yeah, just happened to go to Florida and Mr. Steinbrenner is a big booster. And there you go. Yes. Yeah. Timing. Yeah, it's just. Oh, timing. Absolutely. That's why everybody's just young people out there, anybody, middle-aged or just from day to day, you, you never know. You just got to stay positive and go for it. You know, you you're a go getter. I mean, this is definitely uh, as people will will see throughout the book. You are a go getter, and for what you do, the strength and conditioning coach, where you have to constantly motivate players. You know, some of them are more motivated than others, but maybe they don't feel like working out that day or whatever. You have to get them motivated. So that is, I think that's part of your personality, and it it serves you well from all the stories in this book, which are just, again, uh, absolutely incredible. Yeah, Whether it's, yes. you know, working with David Wells, um, you have a very funny story about when, when you meet David Wells and he said something <laughs> about, he likes to, he, 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 he likes to be heavy or could, could you just tell us that quick story about David yeah, Wells? So, You'll tell it better. So this was after, this is why when I was, hired for my second tenure with the Yankees. First time was 84 through 88. And then I was hired again in uh, 1998. So prior, about a month and a half prior to the spring training in 1998, I flew down to Tampa just to see the facilities and to see what I had to work with and just to get the lay of the land. And I, I go over to the minor league side where David Cohn and, and Boomer, David Wells were doing some rehab work in the facility and so I meet the guys, you know, Coney and, and Boomer, and they kind of, they're eyeing me over and everything. And, and Boomer goes, you know what, just to let you know, I, I pitch better when I'm heavy. I, I do much better. I pitch much better when I'm heavy. So I go, I said, well, it looks like you're getting to have, ready to have a pretty damn good year. <laughs> and, they, and they kind of look at each other like, whoa. Whoa, <laughs> this guy's ready to dish it out a little bit. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that kind of caught their attention. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. That was good. That so was good. Your, your first tenure with the Yankees, 
look, they had successful teams. They were winning 80 games, 90 games, but it was tumultuous times. Yogi Berra, Billy Martin was manager in, in 85, and then 86 comes. Who, who's the manager then? Um, I think Dallas Green comes in at, at one point. I yeah, mean, well, in the 80s, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was, it was it like Nella. this. It went, it went Yogi. Here's how it went with me. It was Yogi, then Billy, Billy Martin, and then Lou, and then Billy again, <laughs> and then Lou again. <laughs> <laughs> and they had some great players. I mean, you know, I'm looking at these rosters now. Mattingly, Ricky Henderson, oh. our favorite, Willie oh. Randolph, Dave oh. Winfield, Ron Didry. I mean, pitching. They yeah. didn't have pitching. That was the problem. I mean, they just they right, couldn't. Man. Yeah, just couldn't get it over the hump. And uh, but they had, you know, really good teams. Yeah, we had. We could score runs, like the, just like the guys you mentioned there. And throw in, you know, uh, Ken Griffey Sr., Omar Moreno, R- Willie Randolph, uh, Mike Pagliarulo, Butch Weiniger. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, back then, the, probably the, a lot of the fun was when we played the tr- Toronto Blue Jays back then, when they had Lloyd Mosby and Jesse Barfield, uh, Tony Fernandez. Uh, all those guys, you talk about a lot of the 10 to nine games and just tremendous athletes on the field. Yeah, definitely. You, you, you did talk about some of the players who really couldn't hack it in New York, uh, Butch Wanager, uh, the pitcher at Whitson. Can yeah. you talk about some of that? Yeah. It's, one thing, Jeff, it's in the, in the position that I am in as the strength and conditioning coach or actually anyone on the coaching staff, when we would acquire a player in a trade or a young player come up from the minor leagues that, you know, that there's no place to hide mm-hmm. that this this we're going to be here every day with you. We're going to see how you do. Right. And some of these players would just rise to the occasion and just take their game to another level with the atmosphere and with the bright lights and with the media, some people, relish that and grow with it and others go the other way and just melt or just have a struggle. And as you mentioned, Ed Whitson was one of them that he's a young, I think he's from Tennessee and a Southern boy. And he came over from, I think he came over from the Padres in a big trade because he was, had a very, very winning uh, couple of years in a row. But right away, you could just see that it was it was not going to work out. Of he was just so nervous and anxious, and plus his run-ins with Billy and Billy getting on him, he, he just couldn't he just couldn't handle it. Right, it was very tough. It's tough to see, sure. and then and even tough another tough to see was Butch Weiniger, who was a great ball player and a great great guy, mm-hmm. and who was a very successful player with the Minnesota Twins as a young, 19, I think 19, 20-year-old that he came up and started, one of the youngest starting catchers ever. And But Billy just got under his skin where Billy would call every pitch and Butch would have to look over to the bench every pitch to, to call a, call what pitch for the pitcher to throw instead of letting the catcher, catcher and the pitcher monitor things. And just a lot of finger pointing and so forth. And Butch just finally had enough. And just, and he, he told me the night after the, the night, the night before he walked away from, from the game and that he said, Jeff, I'm going to, we were walking back 
in Milwaukee to the hotel. And he, he goes, Jeff, I've had enough. He says, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm out of here. And we talked a little bit and I tried to console him and just, hey, just, you know, go sleep on it a little bit tonight and see what, what goes on. But he had his mind made up. Right. The book is called Power and Pinstripes, My Years Training the New York Yankees. And one of the people that it, it is a big influence in your professional life and that you talk about in the book is George Steinbrenner. And it just shows that every person is not just one dimensional. George had some wonderful, uh, you know, he, he, he donated money to causes. He, he did some, some wonderful things. But on the other hand, the fact with his firing of, you know, Yogi after, uh, you know, 15 games or whatever it was in that season and and the firing of Billy Martin and the rehiring and the firing. And and the only thing that probably kept Billy Martin from being fired and, and rehired again was the fact, uh, you know, his unfortunate passing being yes. involved in the in the car accident. That was definitely something that you got to wonder, you got, you got to wonder what, I mean, you have a story in the book about uh, how George asked you to go out and, and make sure that nobody was uh, yeah. secretly listening to the conversation. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, he, he just, he was a little bit, he was a little bit crazy. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. it out there. That's the way to say it. He was hell bent to win no matter what. Definitely. <laughs> but, and especially in front of a crowd. That's where he would, as quite a few people are, sometimes they they like to show their power in front of the others. But also, like you were saying, Jeff, sometimes one-on-one or, I mean, excuse me, Lynn, you mentioned one-on-one or behind the scenes to be very grateful and then to be gracious and, and help people out. But that never, I think, I think it was more, more on the other end though. <laughs> I mean, for those who don't know, and it's in the book, and, and and I think we could talk so so much about the book, and there would still be a ton of. So this is one of those books where, no matter what we talk about, there will be tons of stories that people will want to read, and and that we won't get to. But his when when he had given uh, at that time uh, the Dave Winfield contract, I think was was one of the biggest. It was like a million a year for yeah, it was twelve years. years. It was uh, no, ten years, twenty million. Okay. And people and he, going, yeah, people going, oh my God, what? Yeah, it's on yeah. the cover of Sports Illustrated. Right. And he, he and, and I guess uh, Dave Winfield had a foundation and George, of course, got involved with Howie Spira, who was a known uh, gambler and it ended at, to investigate this foundation. And it eventually got George kicked out of baseball for a few years. And that's when you know the the Yankees actually that's when they won that's when they started to they didn't make all those trades they didn't get rid of prospects during that time and they they started winning during that time that's when the team started to 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 be great again is that the case yeah i think for at least for for that time being there there was almost addition by subtraction <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah, de- definitely. There are some. I, I think voice more voices were heard and listened to. With Gene Stick Michaels mm-hmm. was a big part of it, and probably a couple of guys in the minor leagues. But mainly, St- Stick Michaels really has received a lot of credit for 
keeping some of the players and also some some key trades, but keeping Bernie, keeping Mariano, because both those guys were close to being traded. And uh, like even, I don't know, that might have been even some talk as, of, of a young Jeter, but I, I, I think that was taboo. But may, it was mainly Bernie and Mariano. Did, yeah. Jeff, did you ever think that you were going to, did, did it ever dawn on you that you would actually go back to the Yankees again? Did you think that would ever happen? After getting let go of the, the, in the 88? Yeah. Uh, a little bit. I, I must say there was a, there was a, a little bit, just that maybe it's my pride or my drive, or I just had a, I had a feeling somewhat that over, over time, they're going to realize that they made a mistake. And yeah. because when I got let go in 1988, after from 84 through 88, when I found out that I was being so-called fired or let go, not offered a contract, I tried my hardest to get to George, but I was buffered from being able to, to meet with him and to see him. And that just perturbed the hell out of me. <laughs> well, you write in a book that you, you probably thought that's probably a good thing because you were rehired. You don't think you would get rehired if you got back Got Probably like I, like you're alluding to Jeff is that I I didn't burn my bridge right because I would have I would have burned it and tore it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Jeff, let me ask you: what, what, the river Kwai. <laughs> <laughs> Did you work with the players one on one, or was it a, a group activity doing the uh, stretching and uh, strength and conditioning? How how did you work with with the players? It would be both that prior to practice and prior to games would be in a full team situation where they would be with me on the field and uh, we'd go through about 15 to 20 minutes of some light calisthenics and movement drills and stretching just to prep them for practice or for the game. And then, and that was the entire team in spring training. We would be together. Once the season started, we would have the, the pitchers and the non-starting position players come out at a certain time and the starters would stay inside and be able to relax about a half hour uh, longer than the pitchers and the utility men. So there would be two different groups during the regular season. And then, but that was on field activity, but in the weight room, it would mainly be one-on-one sometimes a couple guys at a time. And people probably go, well, how can you do that? How can you do a couple of people at a time to train them? Quite a few of these players, they didn't necessarily require just to have their hand held and to be taken around and, and to say, okay, now we're going to do uh, three sets of, of eight reps uh, with on the squat with barbell squat or going to do some lap pull downs. I might send them in a certain direction to go ahead and do it. And But also I'm alluding to that some of these players – I, they would have their own programs somewhat coming from another team. And I would let them know that, listen, I'm here to help you. I'm here to supervise and to monitor, but also I know you're a professional and I know you at, by this time at this point in your career, you know what you're doing a little bit, but I'm here to help you. And I'm going to be watching though, too. Mm-hmm. And if I see something that can help you, or I see something that can hurt you that you're doing, then I'm going to chime in. But, and also if, if you need a kick in the butt, I'm here for that. But if you need to be, and I wouldn't tell them if you need to be left alone, I would mainly say just, if you like to 
you know, get things done by yourself. I understand that. So you really would have to read the individual. Some of them needed to be coddled and pushed. Others just let them go and just kind of check them out, eyeball a little bit, to see, see what's going on. And reading the forward by Marion Rivera seems like you had a good relationship. Well, not much, more than a good relationship, but a great relationship with Marion Rivera. And you kind of pushed him to, well, be the best, obviously. Sure. You know, God sure had a, a big stroke in his talent and he, he'll mention that too. But with Mariano, he was one of those players that you had to realize you don't have to recreate the wheel here. <laughs> Just do some very generic, simple movements, some simple exercises to keep his legs strong, to keep his, his back strong and to keep him in his conditioning level up through the various types of sprints and activity. But I, th- I think, as I, as I mentioned in the book, our relationship of really got him going with me was my working and knowing s- some other Panamanians before Mariano. When I, when I grew up in Sioux City, Iowa, I would go up to Briarcliff College, which is a small school in, in Sioux City, and I would work out in the weight room at Briarcliff. And the head basketball coach at Briarcliff College had a pipeline of Panamanian players that each year he'd have one or two Panamanians come in and play. And these guys were good. These guys were great players. And I ended up getting to know them and to to somewhat work out with them. I even go play with them sometimes, just scrimmage a little bit and shoot around with them. And I mentioned these players to Mariano. And he goes, oh, my God, you know, Rolando Frazier, you know Ernesto, Tito, Malcolm, Mario Butler. So it somewhat put me on a a trust factor very early with Mo. I don't think people realize the whole training, the weight rooms, all of that. And you point that out in the book. It it hasn't been around that long that these, these, you know, that, that all the teams have these great facilities. And, and sometimes you would actually have to create your own benches and ways of doing things. And it's funny because it reminded me, I, I once went to a gym in uh, Ohio, in a very small town in Ohio, and they had a peck deck machine. You know, the peck deck machine, you got like two pipes coming down to the padding. That, that's how they had yes. it. One one of the pipes that they had welded to the padding said Ford on it. It was from a car. Oh. <laughs> and when I read your um, description of what you had to do, it kind of made me think of that. That you that's know, good. that's good. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, this somewhat uh, caveman, uh, caveman, cavewoman approach. Yes, <laughs> and just you have to get creative. That yeah, the early years it was at Yankee Stadium. They, they took me down. I, I said, well, where's the weight room? So they brought, we walked down the hallway from the, from the locker room, probably down about oh, 25 yards down the hallway towards the batting cage. And it was, they opened these double doors. It looked like a prison, these dark doors <laughs> open up. And all it is is just a bunch of boxes in there of old records and of, uh, uh, you know, bills and just a collection room for invoices and, and, I'm going, oh my God, all there was in there was a little Sears bench where it has the sand in the in the weights, the plastic weights, and a teeny <laughs> little bench for like a 12-year-old. And there was a speed bag in there. Just to, from uh, like for a box and for a speed bag. I'm going, oh my gosh. Boy, I go, we gotta 
see what we can do here. Whoa. And like you said, then to, I, then I would, on road trips, I would take a seven foot, the Olympic bar, they would call it Olympic bar, but the seven foot lifting bar. And I had a PCV casing around it. And that would go on the bottom of the plane, on the airplane. I'd look out the window of the plane, here'd be these, the guys for United or for Eastern Airlines back then, putting this thing into the bottom of the plane, along with all of our luggage. And I'd take about, oh, maybe a hundred pounds of weights, a couple of 25s and 10s and fives. And we would make great creative in the clubhouses around the league with trying to do some bench presses or some upright rows or some curls and things and going, wow. But it was, that's part of the fun though, is the, is the initial beginning of a, of a strength and conditioning program or more for the sport of major league baseball. Yeah, you got that off the ground. In between your stints with the Yankees, you knocked around for a few years, then you got in with the Mets. I think Jeff Torborg brought you on. Wasn't very good years for the Mets, but they had some good players. Bobby Bonilla, Eddie Murray, a Hall of Famer, and one of our favorites who've been on the show a couple of times, Howard Johnson. Oh, um, wow. Howard yeah. Johnson. Yeah. How, how was, uh, I was curious, you're, you're in a Howard Johnson relationship. Did he, uh, did he go uh, through the program? Yeah, he was... But he would he would he took care of himself. He was one of the guys that I would just kind of eyeball a little bit. Uh-huh. And but he was a he was a true professional, definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And but some other guys there, you know, Jeff Kent, Jeff Kent, that right. came over in a trade from Toronto along mm-hmm. with uh, Ryan Thompson. And Ryan Thompson, what a I mean, what a physical talent he had. He had all the tools, just never put it together. Yeah, and that he always thought he was going to hit a bunch of bombs and hit a. But bunch of home runs and stuff. So on that, on about Ryan Thompson, this is with the with the Mets. We were out in San Francisco. This is in the book too, of course. But in Dallas, Green's the manager. And Dallas is pretty good friends to, with Mill, Willie Mays. So we're out in Frisco and we're at the ballpark. And I was in Dallas's office for some reason, and Willie Mays walks in. So we talked a little bit and everything. And Dallas wanted Willie Mays to meet Ryan Thompson, to light a fire underneath Ryan Thompson. One of the clubhouse boys goes, gets Ryan and comes in, sits down. And, you know, Ryan's eyes get big as so, you know, saucers. And, and Willie goes, hey, kid, uh, here, you you know, you got some talent here, Dallas. You're telling me. And says, you hit the ball pretty hard. But uh, how many home runs you got right now? He goes, Oh, I'm going to hit a bunch. I'm going to, I'm going to really get it going here. He goes, well, yeah. How many, how many, how many got right now? I says, uh, three. He goes, well, son, you better get going then. Hell, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> just you're right. tremendous talent, but just didn't quite put it all together, but he had decent career. Yeah. After the, after the dark years of, of the Mets and I know they didn't, they didn't do, they weren't very, very good team at when during those years. That's an understatement. Back, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, you come back to the Yankees, and it's much more stable this this time around because you have who you call in the book, and there's a chapter called Mister Tory, yeah. and he just brings such stability to the team. And then you know Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams and Paul O'Neill, and then just just those those great teams that must yeah. have been when you got rehired there. Describe that to, for us. Yeah, I. But I remember getting a call at home. I lived, lived in Oakland, New Jersey, which is about 25 minutes northwest of, of Yankee Stadium in New Jersey. And it was in the afternoon. I get a call from Gene Monahan, 
who was, was the head athletic trainer for many years, close to 35 mm -hmm. years with the Yankees. And what a professional he is and still is. I, when he was on the phone, I all of a sudden the alerts go up. I'm, I'm, as you mentioned before, Jeff, did you ever think of being coming back to the Yankees? And I had this had that little sliver of hope. And so it started kind of radiating right there, I guess. And Gino said, Jeff, if you're interested, says we might be making a change around here and we'd like to get you back in here. He says, would you be interested in doing that? And I go, Gino, I said, heck yes. I said, just, I'll follow your lead on this. So you let me know. He says, all right, I'll be back to you sooner than later, but we'll talk again. That aspect was just, uh, just a, a great, a great time period call from him. And you also, you alluded to about the calming or, or the difference in the personnel and the chemistry and a lot of it, a lot of it was from within, from the, some of those individuals you mentioned about O'Neill, Tina Martinez, and Bernie, and David Cohn, Joe Girardi, that there is a lot of leadership from within. But then also you have Joe Torrey, who's at the helm, and it's just such a steadying influence. And when he was this almost unflappable that a lot of problems would get taken care of internally by the players. And if that didn't get done, Joe would, Joe knew, Joe sees all, but he lets things go. He was a tremendous player, as you well know, mm -hmm, sure. great player. So he knew what these guys were going through. There were many times where, wow, I mean, not very often, but we would lose maybe three, four in a row or some really bad play and miscues and just some bonehead plays. And, you, and everybody's kind of thinking to themselves, Wow, we're gonna we're probably gonna have a team meeting tonight after the game because that was horrible. That was just, but no, it would it would not be. It would, and then again, another night would go by and the same stuff would happen. And again, you're thinking, oh, we're gonna get reamed out. No, Joe would let you fight your way out of it. And but if it got to a point where we needed to have a team meeting, then there would be. But it was no yelling there's no raising of voices you guys have got to do this no it was just a joe tory finger and index finger pointing and just shaking his finger a little bit and just the look in his eyes that you just you didn't want that you right. didn't want you didn't want that look. And like dis disappointing your father yeah yes it, it was guys would be here's these all-stars and they would just be be shamed. They would just kind of put their head down, like, "Oh man, it hurt so bad." And you just—he didn't almost—he didn't have to say anything. He understood, but but definitely of of Joe's leadership, you know, through thick and thin, and just the the drive that these guys had when we came back. Because I wasn't there when they lost the close one in in what ninety six. They won ninety seven. <laughs> The, the against Cleveland, they got beat. Right. Mo gave up a dinger or something. From day one in spring training in 1998, that I thought to myself, "Wow, this is quite a group here. This this is a machine." And then we start the season. We started off one and four, I believe it was. There's talk of Joe getting fired, and here we are. We're out in Seattle, and I think we got beat the first game in Seattle. So we're one and four. And so Joe calls a, a team meeting before the game. And that was the beginning 
of that was setting the inferno that was putting the gasoline on the fire because he just said guys he's number one we come in here to seattle we get paul o'neill gets drilled all the time by randy johnson our hitters are getting getting hammered all the time and says you know we need some pitchers to step up and, and take care of our hitters and you know we need to need to get it going you guys are better than this you guys are playing back on your heels you guys are better than this come on then he opened the floor up and he says, anybody got anything to say? He goes, Bernie, Paulie, Coney. So Coney goes, yeah, for now on, somebody, we're going to start buzzing some towers around here. You know, meaning we're going to put some fastballs up by their head if need be. And O'Neill goes, yeah, when we get ahead 10 to nothing, let's make it 15 to nothing. This is what we're going to do. And there's just a kinetic chain of energy that took place. I think we went out and scored eight runs in the first inning that game. And that's where things just took off. Uh, and, but, you only, and the team only won 114 games that season. Yeah. <laughs> and these guys expected to win. We'd be shocked if they got beat. You tell a story in, in the book uh, that you were part of the Tory meal. And, yeah. uh, and this was a funny story. Now, I hope you can, can uh, tell it where Tory calls his friend Bob. Well, don't, yeah, yeah, don't say too much. This, uh, yeah, you're right though. But buy the book, <laughs> yeah. get the bucket. It's a, no, no, no. I'm, I'll tell the story, but because it's 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 a great one. But of we're in Montreal, so whenever we we would get into a city uh, late afternoon or so, where there'd uh, be enough time to get together to have a dinner together. More often than not, Joe would go around on the plane, going, "Hey, are you available for dinner tonight? We're going to have a little dinner." And you go, you know, you're not going to turn down Joe on a dinner because he he knows the best of the best. And everybody would take care of Joe Torrey. If you wanted to go, if he wanted to go to your restaurant, you had the back room, you had the waiters, you had everything. So we're in Montreal and there's we're at a round table is myself, uh, Jeff Torborg, Pinella, a couple of other guys, Willie Randolph, Lee Bazzilli, Gene Monahan, myself, Steve Donahue, the assistant trainer. So. Story got around talking about Gibson, talking about Bob Gibson. And Monahan goes, you know what? I was in the airport. I think it was in Minneapolis. And I was going through there. And here's Gibson sitting there reading the newspaper. And I walked by and I go, hey, Mr. Gibson, my name's Gene Monahan, And I uh, work with the Yankees. And uh, uh, just, uh, you know, it's like to say hello to you. Gibson didn't even, I don't even think he acknowledged him. He just kind of looked up and just like, like, get out of here type thing. Because Gibson was a son of a guy. So Torrey, who was best friends with Bob Gibson, goes, he goes, hey, Gino, well, what would you say to Gibson if he was here right now? He goes, oh, I'd tell that son of a gun. So who in the hell you think you are? You know, you big all-star and all this stuff. Da, 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 da. So here's Tori, leans back in his chair at the dinner table. He takes out his flip phone. Boop, 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 boop. Dials a couple numbers. Do, 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 do. Puts the phone up to his ear. Hey, Gibby, it's, Bob, it's Joe. Hey, I got somebody who wants to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and he hands the phone across the table to Monahan. And he goes, uh, 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 you know, uh, Mr. Gibson, uh, how are you, sir? How are you doing? Oh, God. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. just, just, it would be great camaraderie and, and laughs like that uh, throughout the years. And great food, but better camaraderie and some outstanding red wine. The book is called Power and Pinstripes, My Years Training the New York Yankees by Jeff Mangold with Peter Bhatti. Len, you have anything else? Yeah, I, uh, there's 
there's a lot more, but we 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 can't keep this man uh, uh, overnight. <laughs> there's throughout the book, uh, you do talk about something that steroids, number of players who, you know, you you mentioned that. I I don't. Uh, we could we could talk about that for hours. So I just going to tell people that mm-hmm. if you want to you want any insight into it's not that Jeff had anything to do with the steroids, but it is talked about how there were other trainers that were somehow pushed upon him in, in during the years. And that is definitely something interesting in the book. I don't know, Jeff, if you want to say anything about it, please go right yeah, ahead. Just, but yeah, yeah, no, just that there was uh, for quite a few, for about four or five years, there were a, a lot of personal trainers that were had access to our, to the players. And so that, it really made a struggle to keep some unity and control over what players were doing. Mm. And instead of everything being in house, there's a little bit of a, some tangents that were going on regarding input regarding their health and their uh, training. So it was, it was, it was very tough time period. And I was very glad to see that finally major league baseball did institute performance enhancing drug testing and it should have been done quite a bit quite a few years earlier than that and you know definitely i was i was called on the carpet with a couple interviews with the clemens case and with the fbi and to discuss all all and such and that uh, it was it was a tarnishing time in major league baseball and i'm I'm just glad that there was finally some the testing that did take place yeah and and then I also, but it's again. I encourage everyone to get the book because uh, they'll they'll really find it interesting to read about that. And then the other thing that I want to ask you: Why now are there? There seems to be a preponderance of injuries in baseball today. Why are there so many injuries today? Yeah, that's that's the that's a gray area, but it's, it's without a doubt a great question. And it's so perplexing, but one aspect of it, there's got to be many variables, but one variable that's, that sticks out to me is that the connective tissue of the body, the tendons and ligaments that connect the muscles to, the, to your bone structure, that they, they cannot become as strong as the, as the muscle tissue itself. And that some of these players, they're generating too much power too much force they're generating so much force that their rib cage and their hamstrings especially rib cage rib cage pulls and strains are a dime a dozen anymore and it's partially because they're it's there's too much muscle at uh hyperphy hyperphy is that's muscle enlargement that the training the strength training must take place not to to get so big but to, to increase muscular strength, but also, but more than strength is to transfer the muscular strength that is gained into power, to explosive power, and not to be so built up. Also, I don't know if it's guys are more apt to raise their hand if they feel a little sore or tender, and that they maybe they don't want to miss thirty games instead of missing maybe uh, to try to push through it. But no, it's it's uh, it's head shaking. I just people I get asked that all the time. But I, 
I think that's a big part of it. And, and also just to, these guys have got to get loose and got to get ready to play. And regarding pregame, even during the game, there's things you can do to, to stay ready, stay loose. But that is such a, that's the, oh, what's that? Cashman had a term for it, the, uh, oh, just the pursuit of the Holy Grail. <laughs> right. Yes. So do you think now that Jeff, uh, Jeff Mangold, if a team came to you now and said, Jeff, we want you to do our strength and conditioning program, do you think that it would be something you'd want to do again now that the game has changed so much with, with all these players and how they're bulking up. And what, what do you think? Yeah, it would be quite a challenge and it would be a challenge to be away from my family situation. You know, living now down in, in uh, Leland, North Carolina, which is just uh, 10 miles outside of Wilmington. And we moved away from New Jersey, but you know, I feel great. I'm very active and, but I would be in, in at least an advisory role or as a consultant, definitely. Mm-hmm. And who knows that might happen, but, but definitely this, just from my experiences and from my years of working with so many players and winning, you know, you, there's a fine line between winning and losing and to know sure. how to, how to win. I think a team would be wise to have you because I think from everything I read from talking to you, thank you, 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 what you add to a team, the end of now all of a sudden I can't find the word (laughs) that I'm looking for experience. And I think Len just froze. Let me ask you a lot to, (laughs) to the team. So the book is amazing, Jeff. I'm going to let you wrap it up, but power and pinstripes, my years training the New York Yankees. Uh, He also trained the New York Mets, but it wasn't his fault. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Jeff, you mentioned, you mentioned the the fine line between winning and losing and and two of the most happiest time that you got to go to the white house. You have pictures in here with president Bush and president Clinton. That must've been a thrill just to go there and meet them. Yeah, that was, that was quite, quite the rush or quite the honor. And yeah, that, that fine line between winning and losing, it's just to do the little things, to be able to understand and to give yourself up, to go ahead and have to take the ball the other way, get the runner from second over to third or get a sack fly or take a walk, get a walk. You don't have to get an RBI to get your stats up and prepare to play the game. And it's a, it's a game that thousands of people would like to be in your shoes. Sure. And so for that three hour time period of when you're on the field, let's you know, be a, be a professional. And that's why most of these, especially the 98 group through that, that run that we had, these guys were pros. Mm-hmm. Tim Raines, Strawberry, uh, Chili Davis. Those guys were pinch hitters for us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Louis Soho. Yeah, definitely. We can go on all night. The book is yeah. fantastic. Please yeah. go out, get the book, Power and Pinstripes. It's by yeah. Amazon, yeah. Amazon. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon. And Triumph yeah. Books. Uh, you got at the right to publisher, triumphbooks.com. Go to your local bookstore if you can, uh, Amazon if you can't. And uh, great book, Jeff. Thank you very much. And we appreciate you taking the time for us. Jeff and Lynn, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank Continue you. Success, guys. Hi. I'm Ray Sheehan, 
the founder and owner of the award-winning line of Barbecue Buddha sauces and seasonings. And you are listening to Len and Jeff on the Baseball and Barbecue Podcast. If you're seeking a solid foundation in Komodo-style cooking, then I urge you to check out my new book, Big Green Egg Basics from a Master Barbecuer. In this book, I cover everything you need to get started, including how a ceramic cooker works, lighting the fire, temperature control, and more. With 60 standout recipes and chapters that are organized by technique, you will become familiar with every aspect of cooking on the Big Green Egg. It won't be long before you master these recipes and begin creating your own. This book is available on March 29th. Everywhere books are sold. Jeff, one great interview with Jeff Mangold. And of course, thank you, Ray Sheehan. We're looking forward to seeing you on April 3rd. That was, I think his book's going to be fantastic. Barbecue Buddha are his sauces. But let's just talk about Jeff Mangold for a second. Jeff, you know how somebody says, if I could have been a fly on the wall? Yep. Jeff Mangold almost was (laughs) when he was there with Uh Steinbrenner and Yogi. And I mean, just wow. Yeah. In the middle of that. Yeah. I mean, that's really just he was, you know, the 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 fly on the wall. I mean, he really just that must have been incredible. And and obviously the book has some phenomenal stories. Highly recommended. Power and pinstripes. And, My years and, training the New York Yankees. And have that back for all these years. Yes. The Piazza bat. Who yeah. knew? Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? And then he made he made some shekels. He did, yeah. Well, good for him. Yeah, good for Len, him. Len, who yeah. who do you have next? So next, of course, we have Rusty Monson, who, as I said in the beginning, he's a pit master. He has his food truck. He has a great podcast called Pit the Pitmasters Podcast, which he does with his friend Anthony Luhan. He's on the Barbecue Central show. He's now on baseball and barbecue so take now, a listen now he can drop the mic once you hear our guest you're going to want to hear more of them and that will not be hard to do because our guest has his own podcast it's called the Bitmasters podcast it's outstanding not only does he have that but you can hear him as part of the barbecue central show every month as he is the embedded correspondent from Utah. Who are we talking about? Rusty Monson. Rusty Monson has made barbecue, which I I believe is his passion, into his career. Barbecue is much better for it. Rusty, welcome to Baseball and Barbecue. We are so glad to have you on. Hey, I'm stoked to be on. This is great. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this. And by the way, it's the great state of Utah. The great oh, state the, of Utah, the, yes. The city of Utah. Yes. The great, <laughs> oh, the, great, the great city of Utah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> From one podcaster to another, I want to talk about podcasting, and but we're all over the place with our interviews. And so why should tonight be any different? So let let's but let's start at the beginning. Let's take you back in that way back machine the Vaseline on the lens and it gets all cloudy. And we, we bring you back to little rusty rusty. When did you get live fire bug? When did you decide that 
you know, barbecuing, grilling, whatever you want to do was uh, for you? Well, that would start when I was, I was really, really little. See, we come from a family of hunters out here in Utah and we would hunt food and to make it really, really good, you'd smoke it, make jerky out of it, make summer sausage out of the venison, whatever. And that was always just kind of the way of life. It never, it just always has been, you know, there never was a moment where I was like, oh, this is great. It just always has been for me. The real turning point though, my grandfather would barbecue chicken and certain things and he would sell it to bars locally. Now, let me paint a picture here. I'm from Lehigh, Utah. If you ever seen Footloose with Kevin Bacon, it was filmed in Lehigh, Utah. And that's what it looked like when I was a child. It's not like that anymore. So you can imagine there's not a lot of bars. So he's kind of famous for his chicken and he would sell it. My, and so my dad took that on with me and I'd help him. I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't like out in the bars, you know, peddling chicken as a kid, but he would make it. And that food was so good that it never, ever left me. And so I, when I got out, you know, on my own, you know, and you know, I wasn't, I was the kid that got yelled at. Uh, just for holding the flashlight. You know, I wasn't really taught a lot. I wasn't like, hey, come over here and learn how to change your oil, you know? So the, although the, my dad was good at all those things, it was like kind of like he didn't want me messing with the grill and messing with the smoker and stuff like that. So when I got out and I was able to do it on my own, it's kind of gravitated towards it. And um, it just kind of came organically back into my life. And there was never a moment where it was just craving live fire food. Food that's cooked outside, food that's cooked over a fire and smoke. It just has always been for me the best kind of food. It's just, you know, sushi and barbecue, you know, give me those two on an island and I'm rocking and rolling. So it just kind of, yeah, so that's kind of where it started for me was just growing up around it all the time. Eating everything we ate was a lot of it was smoked outside or grilled on the grill. Nice. Okay. That that's, that's fantastic. And Jeff and I both love to barbecue and, and, and I guess, uh, you know, we have a podcast <laughs> half dedicated to it, but you have made it your, your passion, your career. I mean, you, the trolling that I was able to do on the internet, or as I like to call it stalking, that's really what it is. I call um, it, I actually call it research, like you know, real people. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you started out catering, right? Um, actually, I started in uh, the competition circuit. And oh, so okay. Before that, catering. Yeah, okay. Before that. Now, I've grown up in the restaurant re industry. I, was, I started as a dishwasher when I was 15 at Golden Corral. And I eventually did every position you can think of in a restaurant twice over. It was managing Texas Roadhouse for a while. And then um, my wife was able to make more money than me. And the restaurant business is grueling. So I got out of it. And the first thing I was able to do, because I remember driving up north from Las Vegas to Utah in a Mesquite, Utah, was a barbecue competition off the side of a road at a casino. And it turns out it was the very first episode of the Pitmasters, the show, the Pit, uh, Pitmaster show. And uh, it was in Mesquite, Nevada. And I was like, man, that's cool. I want to do that. And so it, that festered for a while. And then I was able to do it. And the first thing I did with all that is I went and got myself some drums and we entered the circuit and we did really well. And I really wanted to make that something. So we were called true grit barbecue. I'm like, that doesn't have a ring to it. You know, that doesn't have something like if this becomes something. So I changed it to salt city barbecue to make it into a career. Eventually, if that's the way I wanted to go and that's the way it went. 
you know, it was fun because we um, were practicing and our neighbor across the street has a business and he's like, we have like 75 people come cater it for us. So we made our competition style food and we brought it over and the dude paid me like $1,500. And I'm like, I just got paid to make barbecue. Wow. That's crazy. And I left that place just floating on air. And I'm like, you know what? It's happening. That's, we got to make this happen. We got to get this truck, which we use for competition up and going for a food truck. And I got to make a business. I got to make a, a, a life out of this, you know, because they tell you, follow your passion, you know, and, and in this business, it's really, really hard. And if you don't have passion, man, I'll tell you what, it'll kick your, it'll kick your butt pretty quick and you'll be, you know, wondering what you're doing. And that's why people fail. But if you have that passion, that's what still keeps you going, you know, keeps your pants up. Are you still on the competition circuit or is it uh, working on just a f- food truck and podcast? Yeah, we did the Jack Daniels last year, got fifth place chicken. We did. I was over the moon with that. We got a big old barrel and stuff. So that was the nice ending to last year. And I wanted to recreate that so bad. But man, I got to say this food truck, is, <laughs> it's like, oh, man, OK, let's do this SEA or let's do this KCBS event. All right, let's go. Oh, man, you know what? I have a food truck league night that night and I can't do it. You know, and then I was going to do an SEA in Las Vegas. And then all of a sudden uh, someone calls me up. Hey, can you cater 150 people? I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess I can do that. So though I want to, and I will, um, as much as I used to, I don't think I can. And I want to, and it, I, it's hard because I so want to compete. It's so much fun for me. So much fun. Looking at the menu on your, on your food truck. I mean, it looks such, you know, pork brisket and sandwich of ribs the nachos what would you say is like the 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 best selling item on there funny enough it's the nachos and uh, you know really? when you first start a food truck and you want to be in barbecue there's always that well we got to be good at brisket we got to be good at ribs we got to be good at pulled pork and then we, so we had some sub lines like you know sandwiches and stuff and so a buddy of mine named jason Cunningham, trauma hogs out of tennessee he's like i do these nachos you should try it out but i instead of doing yellow cheese i i do the white the the white cheese the queso and so I got, you know, in there and started using this queso and kind of building these nachos up. And just for fun, we're like, ah, let's throw them out there and see what happens. And people are eating, like, oh, we want more of that. And I was still getting messages like, hey, where are you going to be? I want some more of those nachos. And I got to say, it was a little bit of a, one of those things you're like, okay, well, I don't want to be the barbecue guy known for nachos. You know, like you, you, don't, have, you don't have the Aaron Franklin of nachos. And so <laughs> I, I kind of swallowed it and said, you know what? People dig it. Let's, let's roll with it. And so these nachos, we get messages all the time. Love your nachos. Let's go. And it's weird because it's nachos, you know, but I guess we do a good job with it. They love it. It's not, you know, it's, it's funny because food trucks have, have become huge. When Jeff and I were growing up, uh, the only food that was really on a tr- truck was, uh, you know, was the ice cream man. And then maybe you had, you know, you had somebody selling hot dogs out of a cart or whatever, at least in this area. But of course, food trucks have become huge. And now there are events where food trucks are where, where they gather. Just recently, I went to one and it was unbelievable because you had every nationality you could think of in a food truck. And then the desserts and 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 just drinks and the f- good food trucks are you look for them and then and you find out where they're going to be i'm guessing that's how yours is yeah it's it's interesting how crazy it is because like i said back in even i was around when 
all it was was donuts or not donuts, but hot dogs <laughs> and ice cream. And they had the, you know, the little, uh, they call them roach coaches that would go around and sell whatever, you know, and I, I had sometimes worked con- construction with my dad and that's what we'd eat for lunch, you know, and it was, it's just come so far since those days. And you can think of a food and it's, it's there, man. And we'll go to league nights and it's cool. Cause we get to try everything different. Uh, almost every single night you go out and league nights, meaning, you have a lot of different food trucks out and about, like you said, in one spot. And I think it's cool. I think it's great. You know, I think it's cool that it is what it is and food trucks are a thing. And it seems to just get more and more every single time in my commissary. I swear there's a new food truck rolling in all the time, you know, new something or another. It's a cool, it's cool. It's fun to do. It's hard work because when I worked in the restaurant business, it was nice to be able to sit back and plan your whole day out with prep. And you knew how many guests would show up based on the day, based on the projections of last year. And this time in the food truck, it's a whole different story. You're cooking food, but you're trying to figure out, you know, how much food, because you don't know if you're going to go down the street to this business complex and sell like a hundred dollars and have to come home with all this food. Or like it happened to me the other day where I didn't cook enough and I just got my butt kicked, you know, and all these people are coming at me like, I'm sorry, I had to close an hour after I showed up for lunch, you know? So it's an interesting concept. It's, it's harder. It's a lot harder than running a restaurant. I wish that I had a brick and mortar that I could just go to and just be in my confines and my own little place. And now it's just like chaos, you know, it's like, you never know what you're going to get when you go out every day. And, uh, it's, it's interesting, but it's super fun. Is that in the future, a brick and mortar restaurant or oh, yes. is it? Yes. Okay. Now, I don't know. See, I want to do that. I say that. I say that. But you know what's super cool about a food truck is we're going to go to Disneyland with the family. If I had a brick and mortar, I wouldn't be able to do that. This time, I was like, eh, let's just not schedule the food truck, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, and, and that's kind of a cool work in the restaurant business as a manager. I was working five to six days a week, 12 plus hours a day. And it was really hard. It was a lot of time away from family and stuff like that. So the food truck is a way to really get that time back, you know, and, and be able to do kind of what I want to do the, but man, I just, if, if, if I was smart, I would stay with a food truck, but I'm not smart. So I'm going to go and kick my own butt into a rest of brick and mortar. Most likely. Hmm. Now, Rusty, let's turn and go to the podcast. Okay. So you have a podcast that you do with Anthony Lujan. Yeah. And it's called the Pitmasters Podcast. I listened to I've listened to a number of episodes, but I listened to the first episode, which apparently came out in September of 2019. Okay. I remember when Jeff and I did our first episode, and and we we've been doing this now for almost four and a half years. It was a disaster. I I mean, it wasn't, we didn't think it was a disaster. We didn't think it was a disaster. But now looking back, it was. But your first episode, you talked about charcoal Mm -hmm. on that episode. And I think you had a, hey, hey, grill, hey, or think so, right? You had grill girl on. Yep. Was very good. How, how'd you do it? How was that first episode so good? Well, I, I've always wanted to do a podcast about something I've tried. I have seven or eight first episodes out there somewhere that I had never posted. It's just on some hard drive somewhere that I want to do so badly. And so getting into barbecue, I was like, okay, well, you know, this is fun. I'm, I, I'm the kind of person that just constantly has to be learning. 
I'm the guy that has the, you know, barbecue, how to barbecue right on the TV has my, you know, barbecue champs Academy on my phone. And meanwhile, I'm reading a book and cooking barbecue all the same time. It just completely consumes me. So I'm thinking it'd be cooler to reach out and talk to these people and uh, get to know a lot of pitmasters and stuff and get some secrets, but I just kind of brushed off. Then a couple of weeks later, I get a text from Anthony, Anthony Lujan. He's like, Hey, we should start a podcast. Cause I met him on the circuit just a couple months before. And I'm like, done. And that's all I needed to hear. And it was ironic because on the um, How to Barbecue Right with Malcolm Reed, he just got done doing a podcast episode. And he said his number one advice to someone to do it is just go do it. And I'm a procrastinator. I have to have everything perfect, right? So I went and just did research for three days. And I found a, get this roadcaster. You get these microphones and you're going to sound great. Because it was really important for me to sound, for us to sound good, you know, I think. And um, some podcasts I would listen to, you know, it's funny, Malcolm Reed's <laughs> at first, his were pretty bad. You know, it sounded like he was talking through a, a, tel- a phone or something. I'm like, this is, sound- I mean, I lo- I'll listen to the guy for decades, but it was a, it was a hard quality. So I thought maybe if we had good quality, you know, and when we suck, maybe that might help us just a little bit. And so um, we started out, that was when our number one priority was just sounding good. So we went through that whole rigmarole and stuff. And then Greg Rempe was able to step in and help with a lot of stuff and give us some advice. And I have a brother-in-law who's a studio engineer and he came over and fixed my board for us and we were ready to go, man. But I'll tell you <laughs> behind the scenes of that first one. Oh my gosh. I was a nervous wreck. It was, it was terrible. I, I, Ooh, I was, was too. Jacks. So <laughs> I was doing jumping jacks in the bed, the bedroom before we got started. <laughs> it was like, there's a video of it. And I think I'm standing up cause I can't sit down. I had the mic up. I can't. I haven't listened to that episode for ever. I never have, and I think I should one day. I think it'd be super funny. <laughs> well, the the one that I heard was was quite good, and and you know, you mentioned Greg. He it's amazing because he also was extremely helpful with our podcast. So, and you know, he doesn't need us to to blow smoke, but I, but I'm going to because with he has such a popular show. Oh, Len, you know, he, lo- Len he, he loves it. Come on. Well, and, you know, Rusty, right? He has such a popular show, and yet he is willing to help in any way possible with your show. And it's just that's I mean, that's the whole thing about barbecue in a nutshell is that is everybody in barbecue is so nice and accommodating. But uh, he, he was. And so it's nice to know that he helped your show as well. So that, and, that and, and speaking of connections, Rusty, I was looking at some of your videos that you do with Thermoworks, and I see that you were standing there with Martin Earl. Wait a second. We had Martin Earl on our show back. Oh, it's like <laughs> almost two years ago. And, uh, you know, just connections <laughs> that we have. And those little videos are really very interesting. And I, I really like them. Yeah. I love that. I, I mean, I love Thermoworks. I love Marty too. They're great down there. It's they're, it's super fun to have a company like that being local like they are and as supportive they have for me in so many different ways, you know? So it was cool that they were able to, I did a couple things with them and I hope to do more and it's fine. I love, I'm a, but then again, I'm a Thermoworks fanboy. Absolutely. Even without them doing my videos, you should see my, I have like 18,000 different Thermoworks whatever <laughs> it's crazy it's a, it's a problem oh, yeah we we also yeah every time i keep wanting to buy more and more whether it's the dot the smoke the therma pen the therma uh, you know the, their newest i mean it just yeah 
quick, quick, quick story. My, my nephew uh, was barbecuing for us one day, and he puts a, an old-fashioned thermometer into the meat. And I go, uh, why don't you just get this thermal pen? You know, and he did. And he called, tells me it was a game changer. So, you know, he loves it. Absolutely. It's the one tool. Everyone's like, what's the tool you need in barbecue? And I said, besides your cooker, get a thermopen. Like right now, like yesterday and nothing else. Because we've tried them and they break and they're terrible. Get a thermopen. Number one. Oh, well, here's here's the funny thing, too, is thermopen was having a sale, I think you know, the top of the line before the Thermapen one came out, I think it was on sale for like $73 each or it was either 63 or 73, but it was a great sale right away. I'm thinking, okay, I've got somebody I want to send it to in California. Who's very much into barbecue. Then my daughter, I want to send it to her. She's into cooking and my son's into cooking. Only thing is my son is in London. I contacted Thermapen <laughs> and Thermaworks. I should say I contacted them and I told them the situation and they st- and I gave them the address. I think it costs almost double what the therm of the, oh, the wow. thermopen cost to ship it to him. So it was <laughs> it was a lot of money for that for that savings on that thermopen, but uh he's he's enjoying it, but it was much more to ship it than it costs for the actual product. But it's like life changing stuff, you know, like that's it's it's worth every penny, you know, it's it. Oh, yeah. You know, he's probably the best cook in the UK now. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. I mean, I'm sure he's cooking for the for the queen. And, you and know, no that's knows the secret is that, like, what is it? It's like it's like back to the future, too. They don't know that he has the, you know, the book, you know, no one knows <laughs> he has the thermopen. And that's why he's so great. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's why the queen is. That's why she's doing so well, because he's uh, he's a personal chef with. The- that's right. With the so, all right. So now you, you come out with episode one and now you've been doing it since September of, of 2019 and you're putting out the episodes consistently. Okay. So in barbecue, some of the guests, of course, are people that, you know, you may have and someone else doesn't, but a lot of the guests are repeat guests on other shows or whatever. But what is it about your show? And I, I think I know the answer, but I want you to answer it. What about your show is different? Why am I listening to Pitmasters? You know, I what I think it, it's just I I think it's uh, just it's entertaining. You know, uh, we try and get as much information we can out of guests, and everyone does that. That's that's the point, right? We the stories are great, and mm-hmm. everyone tells stories, and everyone tells about their experiences. And for me, honestly, I don't know. I just, I just like to go on and and be myself and let Anthony do his thing. And it just seems to work out. You know, it's a lot of people like it. So it's like, I guess, I don't know. And for me, I don't know what it would be. Uh, You know, if I I had to ask some people, I just don't know. I just like, honestly, I'm in this just to learn as much as I can and steal everyone's secrets. It's really what it is. I just want to know. I'm like the Highlander, you know? I'm just I'm out to cut their head off and get their power, you know, and that's, that's, that's my main focus. And, and I, and it's working out because people listen and uh, I don't know why I'm glad they do. You know, I, I, yeah. I hope they continue. Very entertaining, very entertaining. You have a definitely uh, a great banter with Anthony, the two of you together. And it's just, yeah, it's very enjoyable. I mean, I've heard some of these, yeah, it, it's funny because I was listening to some of the same guests that I've heard on other shows 
and yet they sounded different. Everybody has a story, as you say. We all say that. Everybody has a story. But they sounded different on your show. And that is a a big you know accomplishment for you guys. So I, I think uh, that's something to be proud of. And I, and I think whatever you're doing, keep doing it because it's it's you know it's really really good. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, I love doing it every week. I look forward to it. It's great. It's fun. It's so yeah. As long as it's fun, we'll keep doing it. Getting back to Salt City Barbecue. Yeah, we've heard of you know the big barbecue places in the United States, Texas, the Carolinas. It's, New York, it's New York, <laughs> right? New York, <laughs> Kansas City, obviously. Yeah, is Utah because is the next great barbecue place to go to? Man, I'd love to say yes, but no, it's not. <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I think that ship has sailed. To be honest, I don't know if anyone's out there doing anything original. And I think back when all these these places became household names for barbecue, and they had a certain style, is because only they did it in their small reach. And people had that pride. You go to Austin with, you know, back then it was a lot of mesquite wood and uh, different stuff like that. And you go to, you know, you go up north to Kansas City, you got some sweet sauces and different in the Carolinas with the mustard sauce. And then the South Carolinas with the, but they have all that different kind of stuff because they were doing their own thing in their own bubble, you know, and people would come out and they would enjoy barbecue, but they came, they kind of all focused in on this one thing and became great. Now, the reason why that worked is because no one else was doing it. No one else could do it because they didn't really know the secrets. Now with the internet, we know all of it. We can all do it ourselves. We all can replicate anything we want. A lot of it's influence. So I don't think there'll ever be really an original barbecue coming out of any city again for that reason, because it's uh, it, then it becomes so someone's going to do a YouTube video and then someone's going to copy it over here and someone's going to copy it over here. And it's just beginning. It's not going to be so it's not gonna be special. You know, it's not gonna be, I have to go to Salt Lake to get this. It's like, I, I can go somewhere. I can do this myself, you know? So that's, that's what I think is going to happen. That's one thing happens. I hope that you Salt Lake become a destination. I really do. Of course, as a business person, you want to have, you know, us be the biggest barbecue, but man, I would love to have, six or seven fantastic barbecue joints in Utah, you know, and we're all just killing it. And, and it's a destination because people want to come eat good barbecue. You know, and they'd be known as Utah barbecue, man, we could do good barbecue. You know, that's the goal. I think I would love that. I would love it to become something where people look at Utah and go, man, that's cool. You know, let's go to Utah and have some barbecue. But right now it's simply not that. Rusty Monson, president of the Utah chamber of commerce. <laughs> right. And head barbecue pit master. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back to the podcast, Rusty. So the the good thing, you know, with, uh, I guess, you know, you have a a, a co-host, so I'm sure you guys sometimes one person asks something and then the other goes back. So Jeff, Jeff brought it somewhere else, but I'm I'm going right back to the podcast. So when you started your first episode, I know when we first started, we had the crazy idea that we were going to talk about baseball and barbecue and just talk and record it. And then people would be interested in listening to it. Well, thankfully we changed directions on that and we, we still did that, but we, we said, you know what, we need guests we need other people to talk to, or this thing's not going to last. When you first started, are you still has the has the podcast changed direction or is it going 
how you thought it would go. What was your original thoughts on it and how has it progressed? I had a couple ideas of how I wanted it to go. And then I was, I made the mistake and I, I, I don't do this anymore, but I would listen to their podcast. Oh, they're doing that. We're not going to do that. And I kind of regret that. I wish we would have done that. And we still might, but we did it where we wanted to educate people. And so I was thinking maybe I can use this opportunity to study a subject in barbecue and teach people what I learned that week. And then we can go on into an interview about whatever. And that was the idea. But then I didn't, I don't know. That first episode was like, eh, and then we had our couple friends on from Utah and we were talking and it was like, we kind of had the same thing, but we're mostly talking to them because they came in studio and they were talking. And our third episode, third or fourth, we talked to Chad Ward of Whiskey Bent. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened, but the way that we put that together, because the way we had to uh, was just us chatting. So we had to do something really quickly. So it was a smart, hey, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. Cut to interview. And we walked out of Traeger because we were at Traeger headquarters when we did that. And we both looked at each other and we went, oh, that's that's the rhythm. That's what we're, that's what we need to do this, this, and this. And so just keep that rhythm and just rock and roll. And that's what we've been doing ever since. So it's stuck, you know, and we're, we're constantly trying to evolve, you know, evolution. We're trying to evolution. I don't know if that's the proper sentence, but we are trying to get better always, you know? And so we're looking at making things not only entertaining, but also more educational. I think as much education as we can pour into this podcast, the better, whether it's for the backyard pit master or whether it's for a competition guy. So for me, it's, it's been the same for like almost three years now and, and hopefully it'll stay the same ish with some added benefits. That's just making it richer. Yeah. It's very educational was learning about cooking steaks and it was, yeah, definitely uh, educational. What's, what's the hardest part of doing a podcast? Um, all the things. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm in charge of, I basically do it. My, I do it myself. Anthony just, you know, he, he does what he does. And I, I do the editing and get the guests and come up with the questions and things like that. That can be taxing because, you know, we want to be able to do our due diligence and, and know, and give the guests their, you know, the best that we can give them. And, uh, that's, it's hard to keep that kind of integrity, week in and week out, you know, running a food truck and then trying to think about, okay, I have so-and-so on, I need to do some research on him and how is this going to go? And then editing the podcast down and all of that stuff gets just kind of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a better system now. I got it pretty well down, but then I would just say the consistency of doing a podcast every single week is very challenging. You know, even if you don't have a lot to do, it's still challenging, mm-hmm. excuse me, to continue, you know, it, and and make and that's why a lot of people don't you know they do the podcast they fall off or they do the podcast and they fall off and come back once a month once every two months or whatever because yeah it, you know it's it's hard you know you got to give a round of applause to people like you guys and who are consistent and you know in the podcast out there they're doing it and they're continuing to do it because that's not easy oh roughly i i i i feel your pain we need to do everything i get that Lennis has to come in, sound nice, ask some questions, oh, and you know, oh, yours truly does everything else. I get it. You know, the right? pain, the I'm pain. just glad we got him out of his trailer today, okay? <laughs> like we got him out of the trailer and straightened the makeup. We only had, you know, a few minutes to move. <laughs> Your latest episode had Marissa Overson. Did I uh, pronounce that right? Yeah, Marissa. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the youngest SCA world champion, correct? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. And she's a killer. 
absolute killer. So, I mean, it wasn't just one of those things where she showed up to world championship and just took that thing down. I mean, that girl was killing it on the scene for a long, for, well, she started and all of a sudden just took off like, boom, and was doing super well. And that, uh, crescendoed up into the worlds and she won the whole thing and justfully so because she's very good at what she does oh yeah 21 years college and 21 years old it's unbelievable yeah it's crazy (laughs) we're hoping that i'm i'm I'm, i love my utah teams and i hope they do well even my west coast teams but man i think it would be killer to see her come back and do that again that'd be fantastic and i ask you one more thing about podcasting and then we'll we'll go on to something else but are you amazed at the number of barbecue podcasts that there are and they keep coming? Mm-hmm. Well, what a fantastic subject, you know, barbecue. It's something that mm-hmm. we're, you don't just, you know, it's like Mike Mills say, you know, the spaghetti guys aren't doing this. You, know, <laughs> like, you got, you got, we're the bar, the barbecue people are doing this. Well, we yeah. are very passionate about what we do and we want to learn. And we want to talk about barbecue. I mean, how many barbecues guys do you know that would, you know, sit there in a corner and sit and not say a word, but you bring up, hey, man, I was just going to barbecue some chicken. What? (laughs) Let's talk. I got you. And we want to talk about it. We want to listen to it. We want to consume it. And, And so it's just natural, I think, for people like us to say, let's do a barbecue podcast where we sit around and talk barbecue with other barbecue people. You know, how how cool is that? You know, and I think it's great. I mean, the more the merrier. Because I want to listen. Yeah, I listen to your guys' show. It's fantastic. I listen to a bunch of shows. I listen to barbecue Thank all the you. time. And I could forever. You know, I could just keep yeah. going, you know, and going and just turn it on. And you're like, oh, this is cool. Okay, barbecue, you know. So, yeah, it's a subject matter. It's super easy to get into and super easy to talk about. Yeah, and, and, it and really the people, is. And the people in the barbecue world are just super nice, very talkative. You know, they want to share. They want to tell their stories. And it's just, and you can tell by going with, when we go to competitions, when we go to these the barbecue shows, talking to people like you. I mean, it, everybody opens up and just feels free, just very friendly, and it's, it's just great. Yeah, it's it's awesome. When we have ongoing friendships with other podcasters, and you know, we're all support each other and help each other out. And there's, you know, there's no like as far as the people I talk to and, and come on shows, you know, we're all just here to have a good time you know and and not a lot of people are just like stingy about it you know they're just like cool you know like i love it i think a a new podcast is like oh does that worry you i'm like no i'm gonna listen to it (laughs) you know i get i get to listen to barbecue what are you talking about that's great right it's well it's like we asked uh this has nothing to do with it i'm bringing in uh, another uh, subject baseball we we interviewed the san diego chicken Ted Giannalis, right? So he's the mascot, the San Diego chicken, very famous. And jokingly, we said to him, you know, Ted, you're you're very brave to come on a barbecue podcast for a chicken to come on a barbecue podcast. And he said, what do I care? Eat the competition. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) of course, I knew of the pit uh, pit pitcaster pit masters podcast prior to you joining the barbecue central show but how did that happen now because i know from being a longtime listener of the barbecue central show that they went through a kind of a, a little bit of a revolving door when uh one of the embedded correspondents left and they had uh a couple of others but now you seem to have 
cemented that spot. How did that happen? I have no idea. See, I listened to the podcast. My favorite segment was the embedded correspondence. So I, was, I loved listening to it. It was fun. It always had, it was always entertaining, you know? And so I was, I remember it so clearly. I was making spaghetti, which is my specialty. I'm, I, I mentioned spaghetti twice in this podcast. Yes, it yes. is. Not the, three not times. The and it, hey, <laughs> but when, you know, when you grow up and you're a bachelor for a really long time, you become real good at spaghetti. Yeah, ramen noodles, spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, I crush those. I just open a restaurant, pull people's food, uh, bachelor party. I was cooking spaghetti and I got an email from Greg and I opened it up and I was doing you know, one of those side things. I looked at it. I swear to you, I read the first three letters, words, I'm sorry, and I knew exactly what it was. And I just turned it off. I was like, oh, oh my God. And I turned to my wife, go, I think. I think that Greg's asked me to be in Baron Correspondent. <laughs> and I, like, I was like freaking out. I was so excited. And so I opened it up and read it. And sure enough, he was asking me if I want to do it. I'm like, yeah. And, you know, and of course I had to be cool. It's like dating girls. You know, you don't want to respond too quickly. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> an hour or two. And oh, yeah, I'm just picking this up, Greg. Sure, whatever. So I was really excited. And it came on. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And I got to know Doug and and you know, John and Greg, and they're all great and they're fantastic dudes. And I love those guys. And it's super fun to hang out with them once a month, you know, and we're, we're friends outside of this, you know, we talk to each other. So it's been a really cool, cool, cool thing for me. I've enjoyed it. I've, I've, I've even like, I take my entire year and block off that Tuesday. So I don't schedule my food truck. And it's like the one thing I don't schedule my food truck for is barbecue central. So I got to be on that every Tuesday. Every other, every last Tuesday of the month, fourth Tuesday of the month. Sorry. Let me ask you about your social media. I, I know you have a Facebook page. You have a Twitter page. By the way, your Twitter, your Twitter picture needs to be updated because it looks like your beard now is long, longer than that. Put down the picture there. Yeah, I've killed, <laughs> I've killed more people now. Your beard's got to get longer. Uh, by the way, Len, you know, Rusty looks like he's a big Utah Jazz fan. I mean, I, I'm looking on his Twitter page. He's wearing a Utah Jazz hat. But who does your so social media? Because I know that's very important to keep up. Yeah. Uh, as far as the Pitmasters podcast goes, um, we both kind of do it. As far as Salt City Barbecues, I do it. I really want to be better about that. I, it's, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you, you sit there and go, okay, I can do this. I can post at least once a day, right? I can do a TikTok once a day. And then all of a sudden the day ends, you're like, crap, it's like starting a diet. Like, hell yeah, tomorrow I'm going to start a diet. And then when you get done, like, oh, I really didn't do a good job with that. It's Okay. I'll start again tomorrow. And that's kind of how it goes. It's round and round we go, you know, and I try very hard to continually do that. And I want, and I will, I, sh I will do so much better with it. It's, I like it. It's fun, but I just don't do it. I don't know why. Yeah. Social media. Jeff, Jeff does more of that than I do. I, I just, I like to just, I love to do the interviews. I love to write the show notes. I love to, to, to speak to Jeff and, and we go on, you know, we go on some trips and things like that. But then the, the, the social media is just not my thing. I, I just, I don't know why. Maybe by that time I'm exhausted. I don't know. It's just not, maybe it's my age. I, I don't know. I'm just not a fan. Of, you just of, forget. Of you, you get caught up in the moment. You don't want to take a picture of it and post it. You don't got that kind of time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to go and enjoy this and do this. I'm on the food truck. I need to get going. I, I think I do a pretty decent job for how distracted I get though, you know? So I, I, I keep it up, you know, for the most part. Yeah. I like your videos on, on your, uh, on, on your Facebook page. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, short little videos with the effects. 
Uh-huh. Pretty cool. Yeah. The, those are fun. I need to do more of those for sure. hundred percent. Oh man. See, just talking about it. I'm just like, ah, oh, come on, dude. You can do it. You can do it. Well, after he could, he could tweet something like I was just on with the baseball and barbecue people. Yeah. Look for the future. You know, there so. you go. In fact, you know what, you know what you, you do, you know what right now, see, that's the kind of thing is that you just don't think about it in the moment, you know, and then you're just thinking, you know what? Let's take a freaking picture right now. And that's what we'll do. And then yeah. how easy is this right now? How easy, how easy is this? Boom. And now it's a post, you know, how easy is that? <laughs> but yet you cannot figure it out. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So, so Rusty, uh, you know, I just want to get back to your, your food truck for, uh, for a minute. You pork, your, your ribs, your brisket. What is the, his nachos, his nachos. Right. But the, the strangest request you've gotten for a menu item. Have you, uh, what was like, oh, the strangest thing you ever cooked? Uh, as far as the food truck goes, as far as the strangest thing I ever cooked on the food truck, I got to be honest, not a lot of strange things have I cooked. Now off the food truck, like cow tongue and Rocky Mountain oysters and things like that, I've definitely cooked and I, I enjoyed those. But we get a lot of requests for different things like, oh, you know, the nachos, good example. So we had the nachos and we were at a concert and someone comes up and says, hey, can you put some coleslaw on that for me? My coleslaw and nachos. All right, here you go. Put them on, send them. And we're thinking to ourselves, that's weird, but we should try it. <laughs> so we made ourselves some nachos with some coleslaw and we ate it. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so now our nachos have coleslaw on them. And at that same concert venue, someone said you should start putting blue cheese on your pulled pork sandwiches with your coleslaw. So we tried that. Oh. It was fantastic. But I just can't justify the purchase of blue cheese. Otherwise, we'd do it. But, you know, if you're a food truck out there and people ask you to do stuff, try it after they do it. You know, I had to so when I was working at a restaurant, a seafood restaurant, so I had some French people come in and they asked for mayonnaise with their crab legs. And I was like, that's weird. French people. Come on, man. All right. So here you go. And then after I'm like, I don't try, I've never tried that. Like, oh, yes, you must try it. How, you know, French. And I dipped it in, had a, a leg and oh my gosh, I, I do not eat crab legs any other way except for with mayonnaise. That's it. Just dip it in mayonnaise. On your first episode, you were talking about charcoal hmm? and I think. Forget the charcoal that you said you preferred. It was, um, it was, it was a Kingsford. I can't remember now. Um, back then, I used a lot of rockwood. Ah, yeah. Now, how how has that changed? Or is it still by Royal Oak? <laughs> so <laughs> that changed. I, I when I was growing up, Royal Oak was like the jam. That was the kind of stuff that I used growing up. It was available. It was cheaper, and it was great. You know, and then. Um, as competition goes, you know, you want to just try and, you know, the more expensive charcoal, it's got to be better, right? Not necessarily. So we got a sponsorship from Royal Oak and we switched to Royal Oak and we haven't looked back. So it's been Royal Oak now and it will be because it's, I love it. It's, it's great. Especially we use it for the naturals. We use SCA the briquettes. And then we use, of course, the lump for uh, competitions. And now we've been using the, um, the new uh, charcoal flavored pellets for our chicken because i use i cook on a green mountain grill for our chicken and we mix that with pecan wood it's it's i love it wow makes makes me crazy now with the charcoal because you get used to one brand and then it disappears yeah i mean i i like stubs it was stubs had a charcoal and uh, it was easy to get i think i went to my local ace or lowe's or whatever and would get it and then on the next thing i know 
it's out of stock and it's not being made anymore. And then Weber had a very good charcoal that I liked. And next thing I know, you'd think Weber would, you know, wouldn't discontinue their charcoal and I can't find it anywhere. They're not making it. So I wish these brands would just, yeah, I mean, you could always find Kingsford, but I, I find a specific brand. I want to stick to it. I buy as many bags as I can, but eventually I run out and then it's gone. And it's hard because you get used to a certain kind that burns a certain way, has a certain smell and taste to it. And you're used to that and you dial that in and all of a sudden it's gone or it's out of reach or now the place you bought it from no longer sells it. So you have to order it in and it's hard because, you know, moving from Rockwood to to Royal Oak was easy because I'm used to it. But, you know, if if I had to go away from those, it'd be difficult because B&B, you know, Jealous Devil I've used before and that burns real hot. So it's just these adjustments you have to make all the time with different kinds of charcoal. So that's the thing. And like you said, they come, they come and they go and everyone has their new one and it just keeps on. It's just weird. I don't know how charcoal is hard to make. What are these people getting the business for? Let's just, you know. <laughs> right. And, and you know, it's, it's just like uh, when you, when you're making a recipe and you go to the store and there's a few different types of, let's say yogurt, yeah. but there's one specific yogurt that, has a flavor that you're looking for and you use it all the time. Same with the charcoal, same with the, you know, the wood that you're using. I mean, you, you have specific kinds and that's what you want. And when it changes, I mean, you obviously have to roll with punches, but you don't want to change. Nope. It's like honey. I've don't know what it is, but I've realized that certain honeys that they're, they're all different, you know, Mm -hmm. wraps in your ribs it's going to taste different if you went from your normal Miller's clover honey to this random raw, whatever honey you've used. It, it, there's definitely a taste difference, you know, and the charcoal is the same way. So once you get used to something, it's hard to change that flavor profile back and get, get back to where you were. Oh yeah. Sure. And well, honey, you speak of honey, uh, honey is regional, right? You know, you go to, you go to one place and, and they have their, you know, the, the, the bees from that area because they get the flowers that are from that area. And then, and regional honey is very different in different places. Yeah. I, I used to be a beekeeper. And so we would experience that just in, within Utah, you'd, you'd have different kind of regions where they tasted different. We had our honey, which is mostly alfalfa. And then just 10 miles up the road, they had this hollow tree honey and it was just fantastic. And it was just the flowers that they used. It was the, one of the best honeys I've ever had. And it was different than ours, a lot different. There you go, Jeff. That I did not know. Rusty Monson was a beekeeper. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. It's the most fascinating thing ever, but it was just hard to keep up with. Man, I would. I loved it. It's fantastic. Bees are fantastic creatures. And they sure. feed you. What other bug does that? You know? <laughs> Rusty, before we go, I, 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 don't, I don't want to forget. Why don't you plug your, your website at saltcitybbq.co. Yeah. Now it stands for Columbia, but I thought it was company, but I guess it's not. It's Columbia. So, but, and it's confusing, I know. But yeah, if you go over to saltcitybbq.co, if you're from Utah, you can follow us there. But if you're not, you can follow us on our journey through the competitions, which we'll pick back up on. If you want a sweet hat or shirt, those are available on there too. And there's a link to the Pitmasters podcast on there too at the very bottom, but I'm going to make it more present. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of a cool little website. I did it myself. I'm still working on it. You know, it, when you're in business for yourself at a food truck, you are 
the janitor, the CEO, the cook, the prep cook, the web designer, the HR guy, all of it. So, yeah, um, I, I see you're going to you're going to be you have your schedule really out to November this year. Wow. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're going to update it. I yeah. still have to update it tonight, too. There's like yeah. five or six more I have to update on there. You have to do that, too. <laughs> you know, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite an adventure. You know, it's quite an adventure. Now, Jeff, you said you saw Rusty in a picture with a Utah Jazz shirt. Oh, I have my hat right now. His hat. Oh, yeah. He's wearing. Oh, yeah. He's wearing a Utah Look Jazz hat. Look at all this. If, yeah. Oh, so. Charcoal. OK. So Charcoal. Jazz fan. But yes. if if I am living in Utah, I'm a transplanted New Yorker living in Utah and I must get my baseball fix. Mm-hmm. Who am I rooting for? Well, you would become an A's fan. And oh, no, I'm sorry, not an A's fan, an Angels fan, because their D League here is called the Bees. So mm-hmm. we have the Bees, and it's, I, I don't know what you guys call it, minors? Minor league. Yeah, the minors. Minor, league, minor yes. leagues. Base, I love sports, man, but I can, I, I grew up an Astros fan, and I wasn't even that big of a fan. I want to love baseball so much. I really, really do. But I, I tried to get into it, and that's when the Astros went through that whole terrible year not too long ago. And I'm like, what a bunch of buttheads. I can't be an Astros fan. Now I have to pick a whole new team. <laughs> and I want to get into it. There's going to be a time, I'll tell you right now, while I'll be a baseball fan. I tell people this all the time. I will. Um, but you'd be a Bees fan, and it's a fantastic time. I love going to baseball games. I am a huge Jazz fan. I love going to Jazz games. I have a season ticket holder. I'm a Saints fan, New Orleans Saints, and I go to travel to go to those games. But I'll tell you right now, going to a baseball game is my favorite. It's my favorite time to spend in going to a sporting event. I love it. Yeah. You know, Utah has a, a lot of famous history in minor league baseball going back to, you know, the old t- turn of the century. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Tony Lazari played in Utah. Remember, Len, we, we spoke to. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is right. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, so so now you're talking about when you mentioned the Astros and you're talking about the thing, we're talking about the cheating scandal where they were banging on uh, on trash cans. Is that what we're, is that what exactly we're talking about? We're talking about that was okay. the year I started watching and then they went all the way to the World Series. I'm like, heck, right. yeah, OK, I can get in. Here we go. And I actually tuned in to a lot of games that year and I felt really betrayed by that. So the following year, I was like, no, nah, not anymore. Sorry, boys. I had a chance to go to a conference in Utah a couple of years ago, and it was right in Salt Lake. And it turned out it was near where uh, the Jazz play. And oh, cool. so on a day off, I, when I got there a day early, I took a walk around, looked at the statues that they had out there. It was very nice. Yeah. I, I wish uh, the, they were in town that, that week, but they weren't. Uh, I would have loved to have taken in a game, but oh, I it love wasn't, it. That, wasn't so much fun. I love, love the Jazz. I'm a diehard fan. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Rusty, I want to ask you one more thing about the Barbecue Central show. Sure. So as part of the embedded correspondence, of course, you are involved with the American Idol that that Greg has been doing, which is a great thing. It's fun to listen to. I, I'm guessing that you don't you're not singing in your food truck. So uh, <laughs> how, how do you enjoy doing the uh, the American Idol uh, singing competition on the show? So. I actually play the bass and I play guitar as well. I played in several bands growing up, but I never sang. I never was a singer, never thought I could ever do it. And so one of the things when I got invited onto the barbecue central show was after all the excitement wore off, I'm like, Oh, I have to do that. idol thing. I'm going to have to sing on this thing. 
what am I going to do? <laughs> so in my traditional way, we're all talking back and forth. And John's like, I'm going to do Nickelback. And, da, 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 da. and even though he hates Nickelback, but it's part of it. You know, you want people to know and enjoy the song, right? Well, I can't play that way. I was the kid that was different in high school. I just have to play things differently. So I have to do this weird song that no one knows that I think is cool and funny. And that's what, uh, that's why I lose. But you know, it turned out that I wasn't terrible. I'm not a good singer. If you hear the con, if you hear me sing, it's not great, but it's not as bad as I thought. I actually did. Okay. You know, the songs that I did, no one really knows, but if you go back and listen to them, I, I hit pretty good. I hit the mark, you know? So this year, I actually don't know. It's coming up. I just didn't realize that we were in a group chat and we're like, Oh, this, you see things coming up. I'm like the American Idol. I'm like, Oh crap. So we'll see. I don't know if I want to go after John's title or not, but I might give it a shot this year and kind of let it all out. You know, Doug, I love Doug. God, I love Doug. Great guy. But me and Doug might be first out this year. That's my prediction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we, we also love Doug and, if listening to some episodes of this show, I'm sure that you have seen and heard that Doug has, he's kind of our guest co-host yeah. and he really adds a great element to the show. We just had Derek Riches on yes. and talking to him and, and while, while Doug's on and Doug was actually at the Houston rodeo, I believe at the time. And he was, and it just adds, he adds an element to the show that is just really is great and and Doug's also a big baseball fan. I know. You know he he likes his Cubs. So we we're very blessed to uh, to have found him, and now we're blessed to have found you as well. Right. So <laughs> hey, you know, and, and can, can we talk about Doug's fandom of the Cubs? He grew up in a Nolan Ryan era. Like, how do you not just love that dude? You know, I don't know. How do you not a Rangers fan or an Astros fan? You know, with Nolan Ryan, like I was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I think he, t- he told us that his friend was a Cardinals fan, so he had to take the opposite of the Cardinals into their, their rival, and that, <laughs> that kind of took those Cubs. <laughs> Nolan Ryan was a Met at one time. That's true, and that's you know, and and Jeff and I, uh, we don't hide the fact that we are we are Met fans. We are ba- huge we, baseball fans. But we should, we should hide the fact. Hey. I mean, we should. <laughs> hey, so Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz, that's father, right. works in the thing, and he actually wanted to play for the Mets. Yeah. So there is that connection too. Boom. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Rusty, we uh, we could talk to you forever. If we keep going, we will. But hey. we we I cannot believe that this time has flown and it really has. I hope that you will come back with us because we we enjoyed this immensely and we we wish you the best with the food truck, with your podcast, with the barbecue central show. I have a feeling anything you do whether it's in barbecue or anything else, you're going to do well. So uh, thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a, it's been a thrill. Well, thanks for having me on. You guys have a really cool show. I, I'm not going to lie. I do skip through most of the baseball stuff, but most of the time I'll sit there and listen and go, okay, okay. See, this is how I can get into it. You know, but I love the barbecue stuff you guys do. It's fantastic. And the guests that Derek Richards ones was, was great. Um, well, we do have a couple of ball players who also do barbecue, so maybe you should take a listen to that. So I do. I actually, when I put it on, I'll, I'm driving mostly, so I won't fast uh, forward. So I'll listen to majority of the baseball stuff. I'm like, it's cool. I mean, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> the Mitch so. Benjamin episode. Yes. Now that was he. Yeah. He came on. You know, Mitch Benjamin wrote this book, uh, Barbecue Revolution, mm-hmm. but he's very good friends with George Brett. And that episode was, 
as much baseball as barbecue. That was, you know, that was pretty amazing that, that, uh, so yeah, I, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you coming on with us and thank you again. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. This was a lot of fun. I had a great time. And we thank Rusty Monson for being on baseball and BBQ. Len, your thoughts? My thoughts are that he's just a, a really good guy. Enjoyed it. And I think we can just end with episode 124. We could drop the mic, but we're not going to because we have some pretty exciting things coming up. And that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Other than Jeff. Yes. It's time to say goodbye. Already? Yes. We want to thank Jeff Mangold. We want to thank Rusty Monson. And we want to thank you, our listeners, because you've been great and we appreciate you. So we'll see you on episode 125.